Okay, okay, okay. Happy Sunday, everybody. You are once again tuned into another episode of Thoughts from a Counselor. We are your hosts, Libra Lester III. And Paul Singleton II. So you know on this show, we love guests. We love having other people come in and add needed information because Paul and I are experts and we learning just like y'all are. So once again, today we chat to wonderful people who we just know are going to make this conversation bomb. And now we're going to pause for a half a second and we're going to let them introduce themselves to y'all and maybe say like one, maybe neat fact about them. And I'm going to pass it to you, Nyla, to start us off. Okay. Well, like you said, I'm Nyla and um, what's one neat fact about me? Um, I actually have an accent. So fun fact, I'm quote unquote Geechee, which is a culture found like on the eastern coast of Georgia and South Carolina, and I'm from Charleston, so that's where mine comes from. Okay, okay, okay. And actually, Paul, you want to say something? Because I know Aunt Claflin on that side. I just, I, listen, I was quiet. I was trying to contain myself. First of all, we may be uh, Ken folk <laughs> because my family's from Charleston as well, Walmala Island. My, um, Parents uh, currently reside in that area, in the Charleston area right now. So we may be Kenfo for all we know. Um, but Claflin University <laughs> is in Orangeburg, South Carolina as well. So shout out to SC. Um, and now Nadia, we're going to kick it to you. Yeah, so I'm Nadia. Um, a fun fact about me is that um, I'm the only child. <laughs> That's my only fun fact, I feel like. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Shout out to the only children exactly. out there. If y'all tuning in, you know, she representing y'all. <laughs> and, and tell them who we are. For sure, for sure. Um, so for those who know, now you, and for those who don't know, we are two black counselors in training who are bridging the gap between what we were taught, what we know, and what we think we know, all through understanding the world by recognizing that the world is still being formed. So now that you have a great sense of who we are and who our guests are, Libra, do you mind introducing our first topic for the day? Sure, sure. So today's episode topic is anxiety and coping. And the very first segment is us giving a, a little introduction to what anxiety is. So, you know, we love formal definitions so that everybody can be on the same flow for the conversation. So we went to dictionary.com to pull a definition of anxiety. So we'll be using the first definition you find, which defines anxiety as a noun and characterizes it by distress or uneasiness of the mind, which can be caused by fear, danger, and especially misfortune. And in addition to this, anxiety is a psychological condition, right? It's most readily diagnosed utilizing the DSM-5. And you know, as big advocates for therapy among other supportive factors, Make sure you utilize it if you can. You know, sometimes we learn words and think, ooh, that's exactly what I have. And it, it might be, don't get me wrong, but try to consult professionals when you can. Because, you know, that's sort of what the professional input is for. But I'm going to give it to Paul now so you can give us our first question for today's episode. Right on. So now we got a great foundation um, and definition of what anxiety is. And we've previewed it enough that we can jump right into our first question. Question which is how would you all define anxiety? Again, how would you define anxiety? And we'll start with you, Nyla. So in addition to the add, um, kind of just the excessive 
thought about whatever the thing is. So, um, which I think about that because I think about um, um, black people in the pandemic. We're already, and so bills are really one of our major stressors, like day in and day out. But, you know, let's say I have a $1,000 light bill, and it's one thing to be anxious, like, wow, I have to pay this bill, but constantly thinking, like, oh, I'm at work, and I'm thinking about my lights. Is my lights going to be all my lights going to be off when I go home? I'm out to eat with my friends, thinking the same thing, like, just that constant worry about it. I feel like that is um, what makes anxiety so distinct um, or an anxiety mm. disorder so distinct from just everyday anxiety that you may have for preparing for like a important test. Okay. Okay. Now, Nadia, would you like to go next? Yes, of course. Um, to add to you all's definitions, I think it's um, of the rumination as well in the not being able to feeling like you're not being able to do anything about it. Um, so being feeling stuck and feeling like, you know, you might not be able to get past this. And so I think that's where kind of the fear perpetuates, like how I'm I'm fearful of something, I'm scared of something. How am I going to get past it? I don't know how. And so I feel like it comes, you know, excessive and, you know, you start ruminating over it and it becomes this thing where you have different symptoms that will come after it because you can't figure out how to overcome, you know, this, anxious feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure and now paul you want to go or you want me to yeah no i don't mind at all um i see anxiety um outside of the definition that we already gone over as like some sort of brain and emotional alarm system that is within us right it's it's something or it's a way of our body or of our minds to react to um a potential danger something that makes us feel uneasy um no matter um what mm-hmm or what space that may um, appear in. So I've always seen anxiety as that warning, um, th- that calm before the storm, you know? So I'm, if whether it's a test I have, I get anxious because I know I have to prepare. I know I need to know certain things to be um, properly prepared for this exam. Or if it's something that's on a more extreme level, whether it's um, someone passing away or dealing with grief, um, that journey that goes um, before actually coming to the realization that this person may no longer be here, um, or may be moving on um, that may cause anxiety and mm-hmm. cause that awareness for me to be like, I need to prepare for this alarming or dangerous situation that's to come. What about yourself? Lee? Yeah. Yeah. To round out what all has been said, I think I'm going to hone in on the stigma piece now mm-hmm. because with anxiety and of course with all conditions we live with, a lot of people think like, a simple conversation can debunk it, but people can be anxious about asking for help. You know, people can be anxious about seeking help. And it's kind of important for us to try to pace the way that we engage with people and react to them. Cause you know, like to Nyla's example about the bills, some people will say like, Oh, why didn't you ask? Like I could have held you down or I could have this or I could have that. But all conditions that you live with have, you know, like the social piece, in the way that, you know, we're social beings, right? So that influences it, but it's the cognitive piece too. Like you simply cannot just like turn it off and on, even when getting reassurance. And whenever we do talk about living with sort of any condition, as well as like just genuinely feeling it, because mental health is a spectrum anyway, we have to make sure that we stop trying to tell people how to move past it 
and instead try to meet them where they are because we can't sort of, we can't know where to go next if we're not even looking at where they currently are, you know? Or if on to add to that, well said, um, or do they even have the language or the mindset to even identify Mm -hmm. these things as anxiety or things that bring on um, anxiousness within themselves? So to your point, meeting them where they are, supporting someone, not just financially or physically, but emotionally and um, mentally to really come up with the language and the, the mindset around what it means to be anxious or to deal with or navigate anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, something that goes along with it is not, not necessarily anxiety, but um, that willingness to be open because a part of the stigma um, that exists is if I tell somebody, then they're going to look at me a certain way. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are very closed lip, tight lip because they may need the help. And in some cases they may want the help and want to ask for the help, but there, there's that fear of, but what happens if I ask? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great segue into our next question. Because now I want to know, at what age did you all either first experience anxiety or anxiousness? And do you remember what you were doing? Because what you were saying now makes me think about how a lot of our education into this stuff didn't just happen at an advanced age or an older age. It's often, you know, childhood. Mm -hmm. But before I, you know, sidebar accidentally, I'm going to pause. And I'm going to pass it now to you, Paul, actually, since you went later last time to start us. I think the earliest memory is is definitely around seventh grade. So I'm about 12, 13 years old. Um, and I would get anxious um, around. Um, I know it's I'm doing a lot of educational examples, but a lot of my trauma personally it comes from academics and from school. So um, I think back to um, and a lot of the the root of my anxiety comes from my academic performance back in middle school. But needless to say, um, in seventh and eighth grade, um, or in seventh grade when I got left back, when I was um, coming back to repeat the grade, I would get anxious about not only how my peers would accept me, how I would do in the classes, but do I even believe that I belong here? So I was just get anxious around my, my own being, um, my ability my my ableness or access to still have friends and community um, that I had prior to getting this social stigma of not being um, capable enough or smart enough because I got left back. So I think it was definitely during those times in middle school where I first started experiencing or actually recognizing that I have anxiety and I'm anxious about a lot more things than um, I really initially thought. Now, Nadia, would you like to go next? Yes. Um, I think it's interesting that um, you could identify the type of anxiety that you were, the, that you were going through anxiety, you know, in the seventh grade, you know, because a lot of times kids will have symptoms of anxiety and it may look like acting out or it may right. look like they don't care or avoiding work. And so, you know, they're actually not trying to avoid it. They just, are scared to do it, you know, they don't have the courage to do it. And so I think that especially with black children, um, those people can forget that and they can, you know, just write them off when there's something deeper there. Um, but with that being said, my, um, I feel like when 
from my first encounters with anxiety and I still have trouble with public speaking, but like when I would have to read in class aloud, you know, mm-hmm. as I would pop on reading stuff like that. And so I was just like so nervous. I'm like, Oh, they're calling on me next. Like I have to pay attention and like make sure I have everything together because I was so, so scared and nervous when I would have to, when it would be my turn and I would have to read. And if I said a word wrong, you know, like, so that was, I feel like that was one of my first beginnings of pub, having anxiety around public speaking. Um, and so, you know, I was in grade school. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Nyla? Okay. Um, I think I'm certain that um, I first started experiencing anxiety when I was maybe eight. Mm. Um, that was a very big transition for me because I moved from Charleston to Florida. So I moved basically away from everyone. And it was really just me, my mom, my granddad. So, um, and I was always like the smart one. Like I was mm-hmm. the nerdy girl. And, you know, it didn't really matter when I was in Charleston because I always had my family. So if I didn't want to talk or be bothered by anyone else, I could always be around my family and knew that there was that acceptance there. But being removed from them and being like the smart kid in class, I always got like someone would always say something about it. And of course, you know, when you're kids, you're kind of like being a little me, like you're making fun of it. So like, even now, like I'm not ashamed of being smart, but sometimes when I feel like I know more than the people around me, I try to play like the dummy mm. just because I don't want them to feel bad, which would turn make me feel bad or mm-hmm. make me, yeah, so it would make me feel bad. Or I don't want them to be like, Oh, you're so nerd. Like, you know, still kind of saying like, oh, you're just like a nerdy girl, which even though I don't feel bad about being nerdy, it it still has like that thing just because it kind of takes me back a little bit to like, oh, I remember when I grew up mm-hmm. and X, Y, and Z said such and such. Yep, yep. I didn't realize that it was anxiety though until I was an adult. Like, oh, wow, this stemmed from something so early on that I just kind of pushed it to the side. Like, oh, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I think about my first time experiencing anxiety, both of them were in childhood. I think the first time was when I was six, and maybe the second time might have been when I was eight. Uh, my father owns a barbershop and has had a barbershop for almost all of my life. And every time, like, I will walk in, you know, people know me, right? And I'm so anxious because people will be staring at you. Like, they would ask you all these questions, bombard you. And I would just like freeze and like, you know, my chest would start, my heart would start beating fast. Like my throat would close up. Like it was a full body experience. Mm. And as we all can maybe attest to black children aren't allowed to be shot. So, you know, it was, Oh, like, you know, you, you being smart or you this or you that, like you walk into a room and you didn't speak. And I remember I began to legitimately like develop a fear of now like people staring at me. Like I got like almost a hyper awareness of it. And it used to really, really get to me. Like that's the first one. Right. And the second one, uh, it was like towards the end of the summer, I saw one of my uncles and he made a comment about my skin tones. You know, kids play outside, you know, you get darker and my complexion is already rather dark. And from then on, I became hyper aware and again, anxious about will people comment on my skin tone because we have some questions later about identity. So I'm gonna keep it short, but being a darker skin, black child is kind of tough and no matter which environment you're in. And I would always be in my head, like, is somebody going to make a skin tone joke? Mm. And I remember there were times as an active kid, 
I was like, do I even want to go outside and play? Because, you know, as a kid, you don't understand that in the wintertime, you're probably going to be straight. And also that nobody should be making them comments to you in the first place at all. For sure, for sure. And I, I just have a, a brief, really brief, uh, like, follow-up question that you all can answer or it can just be one of you. Um, but needless to say, we all highlighted that a lot of our anxious moments, our first encounters would have happened during childhood. Were there any conversations or guidance from parents, uh, community members, or just adults in general to help you navigate that? Or was it something to your point, Nyla, how you mentioned earlier, or was, uh, yeah, I believe it was you, uh, Nyla, how you now realize this in adulthood, you know, now you're starting to process and see what it is. But I, I wonder if we had some of these conversations as children and had the conversation adapted so a child can actually understand and comprehend it. Um, how that would influence or impact our con- conceptualization of anxiety um, in adulthood. It, am, are y'all following what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm following. <laughs> Forgive me. I, I jump over. Uh, you want to pick somebody to go first? You just want to let whoever feels compelled go. Nadia, do you mind starting? And, and it doesn't have to be longer and elaborate. <laughs> you speak to your heart. Content. Um. Yeah, um, I feel like you know, it's not a coincidence that, um, you know, a lot of things happen in your childhood. And no, I didn't necessarily have anyone tell me back then. But honestly, I don't even think anyone would have been able to tell me anything other than try to go get me the, ne- the necessary help. But I think that, you know, sometimes parents, parents will have a hard time, like, trying to identify what's going on with their kids, um, especially because, symptoms of anxiety can look so differently Mm. in different kids and different people. And so, you know, I think it's hard because how do you know what's going on with your kid if their behaviors look, you know, the same as when they're very excited or when they're just, you know, very tired. So I think it's difficult. And I think that, you know, we have to bring more awareness around actually asking your kids what's going on with them Mm. um, and asking what they need and what they want because, just checking on them, you know, maybe looking at them and stuff like that, the way that some parents, oh, like, he's fine or she's fine. You know, you actually have to do a little more because in order for them to kind of pause or diminish those anxieties that might be going on or created while they're, you know, in their childhood, those could be stopped, you know, at the at the point where they started. And so I think that's important. Um, that we, you know, pay more attention to kids and what they're going through and their experiences because it really does matter, especially when they get older and they look back at it. Mhm, mhm. Wonderful. Anyone else? Any thoughts? So I think I think that for me, I've always been a talker. Like even as a little girl, I just like to talk. So when things would bother me. I was always open to go talk to whoever was around, my mom, grandma, granddad, whoever was around, I was talking to them. But a lot of their advice was really like, don't worry about it. You know, ignore them. Kind of, you know, what they always tell you, like what you don't change yourself for other people. You ignore the people that are being mean to you and they'll go away. Now, personally, I don't think that's very good advice to give children because most times, Kids don't stop, (laughs) but that was always what I was told. And so like growing up, not even just dealing with anxiety, but just dealing with a lot of just any form of stress, 
I would just think like, you know, handle it the best that you can and don't worry about it because Mm -hmm. it's letting it just kind of be around is going to do more harm to you than good. So just let it go. And that, I feel like that's not good advice for situations, especially for anxiety, because like Liebert said earlier, you can't just kind of be like, you know, get over it. Mm-mm. Yeah. And I'm now thinking too about how, because it's a collaborative process, right? We have to really, really interrogate the way we make room for people to talk about anxiety via in a grand way, as well as in an individualized way. But to get back to Paul's specific question, it wasn't until my sophomore year of college that I had had anybody try to meet me where I was in relation to anxiety, despite me trying to talk about it. Um, I want to say my advisor, Dr. Young, had like pulled me to the side one day. She was like, are you nervous or anxious? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you, you've been talking really fast throughout your presentation. She was like, you're usually like a very good, slow speaker. And she was like, I've noticed that, like, when the room is fuller, because I'm not going to lie, dudes, we canceling class. Like, when the room is fuller, your presentation style can change some. And it made me think about how, like you said, with language, it's very important to even have somebody, like, name something for you or prepare you to name it for yourself. Because especially now that, like, I'm in grad school and I'm navigating so much. People are very, very explicit when they're like, you have to be accountable. You have to do this. Like, well, how can I be accountable without preparation? You have to prepare people to be accountable. You can't just kick somebody in the ocean and be like, what you mean you don't know how to swim? You better figure it out. Excuse me? (laughs) They want you to drown. (laughs) Figure it out. (laughs) But I think that's a wonderful wonderful way to to tie up our segment one um, as we transition unless you had um another comment that you wanted to share Lieber? no nah, i just just still racking my brain mm-hmm. trying to think but we can move on because if you sure thought, comes back i'll uh, mention it later <laughs> okay well you know that the space is yeah yeah, yeah i'm sure to you. awesome so um our next segment <laughs> is focusing on wait go ahead i hear you oh i was um when you said um the last part about like you can't just put somebody in the ocean and say you know what do you mean you can't swim a part of me feels like that's so common Mm -hmm. in the black community though like we we give you like this situation and especially like growing up they're like what do you mean you don't know what to do with this like you got to figure it out Mm -hmm. and so much of that is related to you know survival mechanisms Mm -hmm. too how for a lot of us it's like you don't always have time to be prepared. And it's like multiple things can be true at once. I may not always have time to be prepared, but did you try to make time to prepare me? Because those are fundamentally two different conversations. <laughs> so with that said... Oh, um, but my bad, Paul. We, we delayed you. No, yeah. no, no. I, listen, anytime we can mention the fact that two things can be true at the same time, please, you can have the floor. You can, you can do a whole TED Talk on that if you like. Uh, but... Um, as we transition, and we talked a lot about growth and how anxiety has uh, manifested in different forms. I know we've highlighted how it's uh, manifest in academia or in school, um, but it also can manifest in relationships, conversations, and many more um, places. So I would love for us, um, and Libra, if you can start us off, can you detail some of the ways that anxiety has expressed 
um, itself in your life or how it can differ um, specifically? So again, what mm-hmm. way yeah. has anxiety I'm going to start with the, uh, the relationships component. For sure. <laughs> but um, I'm going to start with relationships because the relationship anxiety of either trying to conclude trying to truly begin rather than be a, oh, like, we just be kicking it. Or even simple things like having can really be a task because we really do phrase relationships in relation to self-worth, right? So many of us sit in this comfy space of, oh, well, if I don't get specificity, I can't get my feelings hurt. But a lot of us, actually, I'll speak for me. I have been hurt by the lack of specificity, even though it probably wouldn't have been as harmful as the straight up no. And again, this is all allegedly, right? But even though it didn't hurt as much as a no, those maybes be singing too. Cause think about if you're trying to plan your weekend around a maybe, like, <laughs> oh, maybe I should be ready at seven. Oh, maybe this is my girlfriend. Maybe I should let her meet my parents. Can you imagine the stress of sitting in the maybe? And then again, to pair that with anxiousness, you ruminating on it you got casual stuff reminding you what you know spent all day on it and yet you still trying to tell yourself i'm, I'm not sweating it for real meanwhile your back is soaked <laughs> or your forehead is soaked <laughs> you know i think about that and i look at it the other way in like anxiety being manifesting in the form of avoidance like mm-hmm. for me my anxiety always manifested in the form of avoidance so a maybe to me is well I guess it's not happening I'm going to make other points <laughs> well you haven't told me you're not I'm your girlfriend so I'm going to find me another man like I just check it off as, and that's my way of saying to prevent from me being heard or causing any further anxiety I'm going to go ahead and nip that in the bud and keep it moving and I do mm-hmm. feel like that has definitely stung me before just because I didn't realize that my dismissal caused pain for other people and they show their pain however they deal with their pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would also agree with that and how I deal with anxiety is by avoidance even if it's like it's something that I just don't want to do like procrastination. Um or even to just people, you know, in relationships, like I avoid them, like, you know, say what I need to say and then avoid them, try to cut off contact or try to deal with them as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I feel like a part of it um, is that I'm protecting myself from the fear of what sure, I don't want to sure. feel. <laughs> um, and so for me, I really think about these things as I do them. I feel like I'm at the point where I can be very introspective with myself and have my actions like almost immediately after. And so like, what made me do that? Why would, why did I do that? And so I really, I feel like I avoid things, I avoid things, people, whatever, to kind of, of bite the fear of it, um, if you will, um, and try to control it in a way, even though that's not possible, but that's how, you know, our minds work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about my anxiety manifesting um, on the opposite end of the spectrum in the form of aggression. Because I know when I was younger, like middle school, when you say fight the fear, I literally took that, like, literally, like, oh, I'm afraid of something. Square. We, we bucking up. We have to fight it because that's the only way I'm going to get rid of it. Right. And 
of course, that was super problematic because I was very aggressive. Mm-hmm. But I've seen anxiety manifest on both ends of the spectrum. And I think it's very interesting because a lot of it really does come from your environment and having matured and not being in the environment I was when I was younger. I went from the super aggressive, anxious person to the avoider. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I definitely identify and what you all have shared already resonates with me. I want to add um, to what you all have already shared that it can be also contagious, right? I think um, especially when you don't know how to navigate anxiety properly and when we are young and we're around our friends and communities, sometimes even when you're not anxious but your friends may have anxiousness or people around you may have um, concern or anxiousness around it, you start to adopt and believe that for yourself. Um, I know mm-hmm. we talked about it briefly um, on our pod episode a couple a couple days ago, uh, not weeks, um, but just how sometimes people's uh, people's ideas, their expectations can be projected on you, but their anxieties is um, in the same breath. Um, and because someone may be anxious or feel um, fearful or trying to, maybe it's not fear, and it could just be around protecting. Um, I think of parents a lot. Like when um, one of the first memories I remember my, my mother, like ingraining in my mind was, you have to be home by the, before the streetlights come on, like before it gets dark, right? Not knowing why or whatever reasons that may be, but because she has anxiety around what could happen to her child if he's not home by a certain time or what he could be doing when he's not underneath my home. Um, now that fear, now that anxiousness can be um, projected into me and maybe that's how now I may move um, to protect myself more so than to be vulnerable. Um, so maybe I am avoiding, maybe I am um, being aggressive because of how um, someone else's anxiety or um, my parents' anxiety projected on to me. Mm-hmm. So it can be, it's and especially as, yeah, yeah, especially as developing academics, you know, in our various degrees of grad school. I'm thinking now, too, about how perfectionism is anxiety, right? Yes. And I'm sure we all can relate to those people that are married to those married to their work and mm-hmm. obsess over their grades. And they don't realize that the categorization of, like, high-functioning versus low-functioning mm-hmm. is really a manifestation of that capitalism still trying to get something out of you. Because if you need assistance, does it matter if you can still get your daily tasks done? Because I think maybe from getting things done compared to getting things done in a healthy way because just as people and not machines it's normal and natural to drop the ball to forget to do stuff to maybe not do something to the capacity we can because we have a lot of things going on in our life but because we have the competitive cultures at play many of us think i have to do this i have to do that so then you know we obsess over it it gets us anxious all the symptoms we describe but because we're still submitting the thing, the report, the paper, the research study, whatever, we're led ourselves to believe this is supportive. This is good. But I'm sure those of us who have crashed and I see heads nodding so y'all can weigh in in a second if you want to can explain, no, 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 no. It's still something that both I need to work on and we love our community's help with working on. Absolutely. I kind of want to go back to something that um, Paul has said, I feel like twice now, um, kind of the, kind of you talking about like 
anxiety being a form of like a signal mm-hmm. or, you know, like a form of protection. Um, and I think about like fight or flight. And mm-hmm. I really very much do agree with that. Like when you're anxious, you have the people that like fight and maybe not literally, but I think that what that, um, I got to get it done. Like it has to be this way. If I mess up, then, you know, such and such could happen. I think that is a part of like our body signaling to us, Hey, you got to make sure this is right or something could go wrong. I think that's what, how high functioning people or people with high functioning anxiety are functioning just because personally I have high functioning anxiety or not that I have it, but like if I am anxious, I am still very much high functioning. Mm-hmm. But then you have the people that flight. So I do think about anxiety like from flight of flight, fight or flight perspective. And I do wonder um, how much research is out there as far as like the biological mechanisms and how that influences how we're moving. Because of course, however our bodies is however our body is sending the signal is how our minds are going to take it, and that's how we are going to react to whatever the situation is. And now I think we can segue a bit into our next question, which now wants to use identity as a focus. You know, when I think about conversations such as this, we lose a lot by attempting to generalize and act like everybody is the same person when we really do need specific and nuanced views. So now the questions I'm going to pose in, uh, what are some ways that societal pressures and, of course, socialization have contributed to the way you feel or experience anxiousness? You know, I know earlier I referenced colorism, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, following that same thread, it can be anything from gender to ableism, you know, you name it. I definitely feel... Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I definitely feel like... Um, Social media has a lot to do with how I experience anxiety. And it's not even just like, I feel like a part of it is having to, you know, appear, you have to appear one way or you have to appear to be perfect or you have to have it all together. Um, And then also like stuff, you know, the comparison and maybe like the capitalism, like you don't have this and stuff like that. So there's all these things that, social media I feel like perpetuate in your head and you know that's why I have to take time away from it um because it's it's a lot going on and I have to remember that this is like reality this is my life and that's just online you know those things might not even be real or true so I think that um social media definitely perpetuates a lot of things I not only I feel like people my age people women that are black you know and that are, you know, doing things and are in careers and they feel like, oh, they got to be the best or they have to, you know, know everything, get all of this and, you know, have all the things together. And I don't think that's necessarily true, you know. You have to do what you can do at every single time and point. And I feel like you have to give yourself grace and be kind to yourself because you're not on anyone's clock but your own at the end of the day. Um, and so that's what I always tell myself, you know, this is my own race. This is my own adventure. Um, and my only competition is the person that I was yesterday. Me yesterday. So I, I definitely think that, um, 
you know, that's important to kind of have those things to lean back on when you feel like you, you know, you get to comparing or get to feeling less than or like you're not doing enough and that you should be doing more um, is to have some things to lean back on that you know are true for yourself. And what's crazy is those in those thoughts around inadequacy, self-consciousness can quickly speed up on you. They become obsessive to where people are now living in this space where I need to worry about how many likes I got or how many comments, mm-hmm. how many people are, are commenting on this one picture that I took only for this specific reason to get people to comment on. So I think to just add to your point, social media plays a major part in um, a lot of anxiety for myself. Um, Going, growing up and being becoming an adult, being a part of each and every one of those transitions. I think back to MySpace, and I may tell how old I may be, but needless to say, like when you go from a MySpace to a Facebook, and you, I recall, like, oh, I gotta, I'm doing coding things that I didn't even know that I was doing. First of all, like I gotta make sure the page got the music. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you got that name out. So it's everything you want to make sure everything mm-hmm. is in order, and then that transitions when you go to a new platform it's a different name but the same idea so we've already been conditioned that this is a part of my life i have to compare or or it will be despair for me and i think that's what they call the compare and despair effect um but needless to say Mm -hmm. that picture perfect lifestyle doesn't necessarily mean that i have a picture perfect life nor does it mean that i don't deal with anything else um around anxiety so i think um i know not i think i know that that is a major cause of my own anxiety as well so i appreciate Mm -hmm. you I'm teeing that up. You know, just to piggyback on um, social media, like just um, generalizing the things that you see can also cause anxiety. Like, you know, um, looking at people and saying, oh, this person must have such and such because I see them with X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, and that's not always the case. And that definitely causes anxiety because not only are you comparing yourself but you have created this really a storyline that you think this person has and now you're like wow I don't have that I wish I could have had that I wish I could do that like how you know and I really do social media is I'm not gonna say it's bad but it has gotten to the point where even with relationships you can be you can look a certain way and now you're being treated mm-hmm how a person would expect, how a person, like, let's say as a dark skin person, um, and the whole colorism topic, like, you could be dark skin and now everyone's going to look at you or men may look at you and think, oh, wow, she's probably mean, she's aggressive or something like that just because you don't, you don't look softer, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say soft as like a bad connotation, but, you know, you just don't have that, like, welcoming appearance just because there's always that stigma attached to darker skin tones anyway and just like it makes it hard for you to navigate at least me personally it kind of causes me anxiety when I'm doing things professionally because I don't want to ever be seen as the angry black woman Mm -hmm. especially because I'm dark and the reality is a lot of times I'm not angry about things but it makes it harder for me to like kind of disagree with people sometimes just because I don't want that stigma because it's already been generalized and a lot of people, um, even people of color, um, will look at you a certain way just off of things that they see in social media because 
some people really only know about other cultures because of what they see in the media, on TV, yep. on social media, wherever. Mm-hmm. Social media really gave us one more avenue to perform our socialization. And, and it's, it's kind of disappointing to see because it shows how thorough it was. It's like in this space where you can craft a timeline and content, people still choose to regurgitate what you would think they would leave behind. Um, but to, to now gear my answer towards the question, I think about my decision to attend Morehouse, you know, well, choose an HBCU period before I knew I was going to choose Morehouse because I was so tired of the anxiety that is being black in a space that's not both predominantly black as well as healthily black too, because as we know, intra-community conversations involve accountability in those areas too. And so much back to the idea of limited space and survival tactics of the young black experience is I have to be two times better. I have to this, I have to that. And that inspires anxiousness in us because we know if we fail, we may not get a tutor or the tutor may not be supportive. You know, we may not get extra grace or they'll offer grace, but they'll still make slick comments on the side. And then I got to Morehouse. And I learned how, again, thorough socialization was. It's like, oh, race is off the table. Now it's color. You know, now it's class. You know, now it's ableism, right? It's a, it's a lot of things. It's orientation. And when you try to sit and say like, hmm, well, I guess I'm really going to have to sit in this whole navigating anxiety thing. I also began to realize, too, that you have to, we have to have these conversations as a community because we'll heal ourselves, right? And we'll get ourselves to a point where we can function back in society then we realize society is the place of the toxicity, you know, so you can be feeling good and you can be comfortable with yourself. Then you go in the classroom and somebody make a comment. And like we said, growth, not linear. So you relapse a bit, you know, now your throat's choking up. Now your heart's beating fast. Now you feel an avoidant. And it's kind of important that we realize these aren't sort of isolated incidents because we do think, Oh, this is something internal that you have to battle. And it's like, well, if you're in my life, why would you want to recreate and exhibit things that I told you make me feel all these ways? Because I'm not saying that people need to just change overnight, but the unlearning process is sort of tied to this stuff because it's really not isolated. You know, it's widespread. For sure. And I just want to add one more point before we do move on. Um, I think society's um, thirst or quest to have all knowledge at immediately um, kind of plays a part um, and negatively impacting people's anxiety as well. When we have uh, these spaces, so whether we're in school, we're at home, but yet everything around us, these ecological, uh, yeah, these ecological factors, whether it's our environment, whether it is the media where it's constant messages around terrorism, people who are dying, people who are uh, in adverse situations versus like true news or things that are more uplifting, I think that plays and adds or amplifies the things that the typical person may go through. And typical meaning their normal day in and day out, no matter what social economic status they may be in, they may be comfortable in this one space, in this one lane. But now with the world's um, lens or the world's problems coming um, in their lives, that amplifies what they're already dealing with or what they're already having trouble navigating on a day in and day out. So um, I think our quest to have all the information at all times um, put, definitely influences us in a negative way um, when it comes to anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
And you know what, Paul? You've now made me think about mm-hmm. the media component, too, the media and the gender component. Because sure. I remember a while ago in the NBA when uh, I think it was DeMar, Kevin Love, and um, Kelly Oubre Jr. were talking about mental health. Yeah. You know, a lot of black men in particular, because the NBA is predominantly black, had a lot to say about anxiety, right? And at times it was, it was helpful to see the conversation because you saw the authenticity, right? Because again, all people deal with anxiety and self-capacity. But back to the topic of performance, it made me sad to see so many men saying like, well, I wouldn't speak about that. Mm. Because a lot of black men standing ground is, oh, well, nobody creates these spaces for us. Right. It's like they just tried to create that space. And you was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have to remember that in order for us to have the growth and the change that we want, we have to be willing to walk towards people and meet them where they are. Because if you want people to drag you to something that's going to help you, I really don't know what to tell you because why should you make it difficult if you admit this is an issue? You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't go on in circles like people don't do this stuff for me. Then as soon as somebody does, you're like, well, I I wanted her to do it. I wanted him to do it. No, 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 no. (laughs) Opportunity presented itself. So now this is where the accountability kicks in and we have to say, okay, I'm going to try. You know, I'm going to do a little bit of the work. Absolutely. And I think you, uh, again, this guy is a point guard with all the assists that he tosses out throughout an episode. But I think this is a perfect way for us to transition into our final segment around anxiety within our society. Um, As we all know, we're currently facing a pandemic. And a lot of during this time, we are, of course, collaborating with systematic pressures and compounding the anxiety of many people already have already felt excuse me, or a face, felt and faced. So the question to you all, and I'll start with you, Nadia, uh, what are some of the ways that you've seen or experienced anxiety lately due to these factors, specifically COVID, um, being uh, the civil unrest within our country and so on and so forth? Hey, Paul, Nadia, man. Nadia, Nadia, Nadia. thank you. Forgive me, I'm sorry. (laughs) And please, correct me. Please correct me, Nadia. Um, so for me, um, particularly for things that I try to deal with things that I can control, um, the political unrest, I definitely, it definitely upsets me, but I've learned to kind of separate myself, um, and not saying, oh, those don't concern me, separate my, my mental health from what is going on and Cause if I keep thinking about it, like I get mad and want to fight because I feel like I get, I, I want to get physical when it comes to racism. And so you can't be like that. You just can't be like that, you know? And so I have to calm my mind by putting it out of my mind. And so that has been helpful for me. Um, and so that's one of the ways that, which I know my anger is expressed when it specifically comes to the political unrest, but just the regular, you know, fallout of COVID, you know, having to, do school online like I'm, I have anxiety about finishing my work and focusing and concentrating and just having that whole change and even you know earlier today my friend and I were discussing like how we were going to adjust when we have to you know go back on campus or go back to actual school and, and where I'm like oh that's gonna be so hard for me um because now I'm kind of used to this setting in this environment now so just thinking about 
I, you know, I had a little bit of anxiety, like, oh, what, how I'm going to adjust when I go back and how my work is going to be affected by that. And so these things that I don't let, let them really worry me or consume me with worry, but these are things that I keep in my head um, and just, you know, from time to time, because I feel like I, I do have to keep myself in check, but at the same time, let, not let them uh, rule me, run over me. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Nyla, would you like to go? Um, so a lot of my anxiety due for, to COVID is actually me just being in the house. Like it, it the, the four walls just just being here, just in itself. I almost feel like I'm confined to a space. So what what I usually do is I do go out. I'll go to the park and like mask up and stuff. But like the anxiety from being enclosed, but even anxiety of going outside, just wondering like if the person that just bought their groceries, do they possibly have COVID? Like, you know, just being concerned about that, but even being concerned about my family members that are a part of the vulnerable um, population, like my older, my elders, my grandparents, like COVID. And then like Nadia said, like not really being able to have control over a lot of that stuff and even the political unrest just having to find ways to healthy ways to cope um in the meantime because there's not a lot a lot that we can do um but my my biggest my biggest um anxiety trigger for me is sitting in the house like not being able to get as much human interaction because i want to see my friends i want to see my loved ones but knowing that we could be putting our, ourselves at risk is it makes it hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even like being around them, that, that anxiety is still in the back of your head because now you get to see your loved ones, but you're concerned about what if they get sick. So mm-hmm. anxiety really doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. Just to continue on, I think um, that fear of causing harm to others is something that I've been anxious about um, around all the COVID-19 protocols, whether I'm going to visiting friends or family, I'm just feeling like I don't want to be that cause. And I'm very aware of that, um, being in spaces um, that could potentially be risky. Um, and then going to see people um, is something that it's just that I still get anxious about. Um, even, um, recently I had, we had a celebration of life episode and there was a great, um, time. However, I was anxious about how, how would this space work for having this celebration? What is, what does it look like? Do does everyone have a mask? Do we not have masks? So on and so forth. And really talking to myself, sometimes you got to coach yourself up and be like, Paul, it's okay. Um, no matter what space you're in, um, you can't control what other people do and or um, say or their thoughts around um, how we should be navigating this space. So do what you can, control what you can control, and allow everything else to fall in place. So um, I think I always get anxiety when I'm heading the spaces um, with more than uh, one or two people because now I'm just thinking about all the effects, the new strains of COVID. Um, It's mutated. It's not. What could happen? Um, What part do I play in this um, so um, it's something that I'm definitely aware of. Yep, yep. Before I answer, shout out to the January birthdays. You know, I know Paul just had his. I know 
Nadia just had one. So, you know, I want to plug that little sidebar in there. Praise, Susan. <laughs> And, and and I want to add an I want to add another thing that I'm I'm anxious about that um I have no shame. Oh, okay, saying okay. Nadia, I, I said it correct, right? I said it correct. But needless to say, I say I get anxious about mispronouncing of names, especially on this pod. I get so that's why, I, like I literally I was like, man, I wish I got off earlier so I can go over this and just make sure that I got everything. This isn't the first time that I've messed up names, so I'm I'm very aware of that. So I, I bring this up now because it's something that I'm very anxious about. So please bear with me, and I thank y'all for working through. Through it with me as we go through this, this is a healthy space, though, you know we, we we correct with love yeah. you know we're not demonizing you for it and that, that's really what people need too sure. you know sometimes when people say like something minor or at least appears minor makes them anxious everybody's like man if you don't push that out of your head yeah. but like we've all discussed it's like yo i said it make me anxious right sure. why can't that just be the end of the thought bubble <laughs> but to uh and it's understandable um, that you uh, are anxious because like it's being recorded. Other people are listening, so you you kind of want to you know. So I I get it. I understand the anxiousness around it. <laughs> and now to actually add to that, since we're online, when we first did the shift and we had to do the pod online, I was in my head like, "Wow, Paul's my guy," and now I'm not seeing him three times a week, be it <laughs> right. for class or to kick it or to record. Or, like, even small things, like, you know, you see your peoples, you know, like, maybe twice a week, three times a week. Now you're seeing them, like, virtually. And learning how to properly build community throughout the pandemic has been really, like, freeing, right? Because I see all these new ways I can connect with my peoples. But at first, when you thought you just had to be inside and be good, <laughs> I was in the house like, yo. And, you know, now I do all of this. Yeah, like, you know, like, you, you might be in the crib pacing. You're just going from room to room. Like, I got to get some type of blood flow going. Day 23. And that's me all the time. Mm -hmm. And I had to find new ways to do that. Like, you know, of course, the pod now, we invite more people. You know, like, I started a little album review club because I like discussing music. You know, my friends and I, like, watch shows on Netflix or whatever or on FaceTime. Because it's like, yo, like, we can do this. Like, there's a way to do this. But you also have to be prepared to want to persevere because, like we said earlier, if nobody's told you, hey, persevere in a fun way rather than a I hate this, but I'm going to get through it type of way, you might miss it. You don't have to sit in the room in the dark, but I'm sure a lot of us probably was because we was like, they said we got to be inside. So I'm going to be inside mad. Right. It's like, no, like, you know, rearrange a room, you know, <laughs> open the blinds. Like, it's a lot of Pick stuff you can kind of do to make. Yeah, to make inside feel like more time with yourself rather than a punishment. Like, you don't got to cut all your TVs off like you grounded. <laughs> <laughs> and to now get to our, our next question, which actually discusses some tips. So we don't want to wrap up this episode without sharing some of the important ways to manage it that we both experienced, but also have heard from others. Because that's the best thing about community, right? We can learn and we can share with each other. So now, you know, to the WebEx, I want to ask y'all, what are some beneficial ways that you've been able to manage this, uh, this weird period that we've been in for a year and at this point, a month? <laughs> so for me, um, what I do is I just, give myself a lot of grace. Like, it's okay if you feel tired. It's okay if you feel lazy. Like, no one 
is, you know, like no one is probably that concerned anyway, you know, so you don't have to beat yourself up or feel down. So taking a lot of pressure off myself is one thing that I say that I have done consistently. And I think it's easier because like no one's here. So <laughs> I can take that. <laughs> no one's here to kind of remind me about anything. So I think it's easier for me to take the pressure off um, that way. Um, but I also do like Libra was saying, making sure that my environment is not, you know, all drab and depressing and stuff, because I think that does contribute to like how you're feeling. It definitely does contribute to how you're feeling. And so making sure that, you know, I got the wind, the blinds open, I got some some music playing in the background. I got, you know, some, some mood lighting on. So things to make me personally feel better, even if it's something small. Um, and also I feel like this could be dangerous too, but also buying little small things that would make me happy, like but little candles and stuff like that, or things to put on my desk that I can look at while I'm while I have to be, you know, in class online. So I think those things are helpful. Um, it always feels good when you buy one thing from Target, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, I definitely think that you know, just doing things that I love to do and just leaning into more of the things that make me happy has been one of the beneficial things that could come out of like this pandemic and just spending a lot of time with myself is that you know it's just me in here so I'm really learning and loving like all that I have to offer and just kind of making my and I'm grateful that I can do that because I know a lot of people may struggle with being alone and kind of sitting with themselves and stuff but you know as you know I'm the only child so I've never had a problem doing that I used to play by myself talk to myself all those things so you know I think this is kind of more of a grown-up extension of that um if you will absolutely so I can definitely agree with that last part um I am my mom's only child so I grew up you know doing a lot of things by myself so I was being home by myself isn't too too bad just because I kind of feel like to some extent, I'm used to being by myself, but I do um, deal with a lot of the anxiety due to the pandemic by, like I said, going to the park. Um, if I don't want to go, like, outside of my home, I'll go, like, sit outside on the patio or something, you know, just to get some sunlight, some air, be outside. Um, but I'm also, like, a, a big journaler. Like, if I just, like, get, you know, just some random hit of anxiety one day I'll just go write something down whatever you know just I'm feeling anxious I don't even know why I'm anxious but you know just kind of having that I guess dialogue with myself on paper because it does make me feel a lot better but um also I do like to shop <laughs> so i I don't buy just that one little thing. Like, I end up with a whole basket. But I don't know, just buying something that makes you feel better. Like, you know, just kind of switch up your environment, you know, add something. It just brings a nice smile to my face. So, I, those are, like, my top, top things that I mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially because if you're going to be looking at a certain thing, like, if you do work in your bed all the time and like put something right in front of your view to just make that, that little situation just a little bit better. Like I feel like those small things are really important, honestly, at this time. And moving in different places of your house. So for me, sometimes I work in my room. Sometimes I work in my living room. Sometimes I work in like the dining room, just 
moving around so that I don't feel like I'm in the same <laughs> No, I definitely, <laughs> I, I definitely can agree. I've turned my bedroom into a studio. I've turned my studio into an office. I turned my office back into a bedroom. So I, I've really <laughs> tried to just switch things up. And I think um, it's very important to your, to your point because everything is changing since we are spending so much more time, our environments are key. Since I, I've highlighted already how environments play a, a role in our development, this is no different, um, even on a micro scale within your apartment or a room. Um, something that I've been trying to be more mindful of um, while being in this space is making sure the things that I do, um, they bring me joy, but also are connected, some, whether it's loosely or uh, very directly um, to whatever my purpose may be. So if I, my purpose around um, having an active and healthy lifestyle, like making sure that I work out um, three times a week, um, making sure I, I'm not in the gym as frequently as I was because of COVID and everything, but putting up my pull-up pull bar at my apartment, making sure that I'm doing sit-ups and so forth, running outside, getting a jog in the morning or evening. Um, it's something that I'm trying to do to make sure that I'm not only actively and physically healthy, but also it calms my mind because I need to separate from that computer because my office, I've been on Zoom, I've been on WebEx, I've been on Slack, whatever it is, TikTok. Like we've been on there's so many different apps that we use to see each other now, which is great. I think it's important for us to connect with people, but it also can be draining when our screen times have increased from maybe um, on average to two to four hours to maybe 12 to 16 hours now, um, mm -hmm. um, no matter if it's a television or your laptop. So um, taking those breaks to actually, those breaks from the screen to actually calm my mind and my body um, is important as well. Yeah, my screen time be cussing me out. It's just like, <laughs> yo, like you had like 10 hours, no, like what you doing? Right, I'm like, right. I'm doing work, you know? Like I'm trying to get stuff done, but like, like you've all said, it's really important to make sure that you're getting stuff done in a way that doesn't make you hate what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> so to now talk about my tips, I love me some candles. You know, I light them either while I'm about to work or before bed. You know, I stretch like two to three times a day just because it'll loosen you up. And it really puts me in a good mood. Yeah. Um, I love to journal. You know, I try to make sure that I journal at a minimum once a week. But typically I do like two to three times a week because I'll be having a lot to say to myself. <laughs> um, I try to make sure that with safety, I do go out when people ask me to, even if it's something simple like, yo, like you want to come grocery shopping with me or you want to go to the bookstore? Mm -hmm. Because we have to recognize too that while we need to be safe and we need to adjust, there are ways to do it. And like Paul said, with being masked up, it's like if y'all are doing all that you can and not taking any risks, it's okay to go out just a tad bit. You know, I'm not saying be out <laughs> rapping the Dope Baby remix, but, you know, whatever it is you're going to do, just try to do it with a bit of safety. Because, again, we are social creatures, so we do need a variety of social means. Because, to be fair, while I love the Netflix Zoom parties that my friends and I do, I don't want to be outside. You know, I, I wanted to see the, uh, the Savage remix live, but, you know, we can't. I'm going to keep that in the back of my head before I hope the DJ shows me some love and plays it so I can see my dance to it. But I'm going to also remember, too, that it's not the end of the world and it's not wasting time because we're looking at a slight pause. Sure. And I really had to ask myself, what does it mean to exist in my time? Because a lot of us feel like, dang, 
I'm losing time. I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, like personally, I'm 24. So we're taught like, oh, like this is the prime of your life. And it's like, well, why can't I be in the prime of my life at 30, at, at 40, <laughs> you know, at 50? Like, again, I always shout out Dr. Young, but she got me right a little while ago. She was like, you know, you learn for your whole life, right? And it was a simple a thought, right? I was like, yo, she right. Because we often think at past age 22, it's either success or bust. Mm-hmm. And that's media too, right? Because not many shows talk about this icky place we are in right now. But that's why we got to be candid about that too. It's like, yeah, like, you know, I'm doing the thing and I'm failing some things, but I'm having fun because we need the round, the whole experience. You know, like we said, we're performing. Don't only show your wins. And I hope you're not only showing your losses because show the, show the average stuff too. Like show me the fact that you opened a water bottle and spilled a little water on yourself. I need that too. <laughs> sure. Now, Paul, you want to hit us with the uh, lead by example? Oh, if nobody else had any other thoughts, of course. <laughs> I just wanted to say that when you were saying that, you know, you're learning for the rest of your life. Um, and also to point out that I think people don't, if you're not in academia or research, you know, we're emerging adults. We're not supposed to know what's going on. You know, this time is literally defined as, being unsure and having all these different changes, you know, you're moving from your parents to being independent and you're just finding yourself. And I think sometimes for me, I know I, I, I do forget that sometimes like, girl, calm, like calm down. You, you still got a long time to go to figure things out and it's not the end of the world. So also having to remember to put myself back in check, like you, you're, you know, 24. So you have like the rest of your life ahead of you and I just saw somebody the other day saying, you know, 24 is still young. And, like, that that was, like, somebody speaking to me, and they didn't know that they were speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Like, 24 is still young, so thank you for that. And, you know, like, you know, because I just need that. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm running out of time. I do this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it does, life doesn't work that way. And I feel like this past year has shown everybody that as well. And don't let something come up on a path you thought was solid. Now you are thinking like, yo, I did everything else wrong. It's right. like, nah, like, you ain't even do this wrong. It's a hiccup. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like hick it up and then let's try to get back to the grind. You know, Paul and I are lightly in that space now in relation to our schooling. I be having to sit with myself like, okay, like we've been a breakdown. It's cool. Let's break down. But let's look at all the pieces because mm-hmm. look, you see how shiny that piece is? That's the A you got. You know, you see that shiny piece over there? That's the publication you got. Like, Make sure you're looking at all of it, not just what you want to look at. <laughs> Make that mental shift in your mind to start thinking that way. We need our people. We need everyone, not just our people, but we, we need people in general to start making that shift. Um, it makes life a little bit easier. It doesn't make it easy altogether, but when you're not competing, when you're not trying to outdo the next man and you can only focus on you, it makes it just allows you to take that focus, allows you to really immerse yourself in your purpose and whatever that may be and execute it um, correctly to the best of your ability. Um, And I think you all highlighted that you've all shared your points around anxiety and how we can grow through it, how it evolves and how we can continue to navigate it. So I think this was a wonderful conversation. I thank you all again Um, to Liebert's point. 
Um, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. I think every part is my favorite part, but needless to say, <laughs> now that we're here, I, this is my favorite part. Um, but this is our lead by example where we highlight individuals who are doing good work or have done good work or people that you just want to show uh, love, give some affirmations to um, that typically may not get them or have gotten them and you just want to add to it. So um, the floor is open for everyone. If, if you have someone that you want to highlight, by all means, this is the space for plug a business, celebrate a new job, celebrate a new car, celebrate a birthday, Aquarius season. Shout out. <laughs> just wait till June when we do my birthday shout out. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a special for that. We're going to have a special. We're going to have a special for that, Lever. Don't worry. Uh, I think I can. I can shout Lieber out for inviting me and extending the invitation um, and just, like, keeping up in touch with me. Lieber's, like, one out of maybe three guys from Morehouse I still keep in contact with. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I appreciate the invitation. Why are you laughing? I, I didn't even say nothing. I don't know why. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Guilty um, but no, Libra has always been a good friend, good support. So I appreciate that. Wonderful. So this clap is for you, brother Libra, for doing what you do, being a champion, a great friend. This man is constantly reaching out to his people. It wasn't just a college thing. No, 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 no. He said, I, you are my friend and this is a lifetime journey. Oh, you're going to save that number. You're going to save it. And he did. And he did. Shout out you, Libra. Anyone else? Any lead by example examples for this episode? And now, now, now I was, oh, <laughs> we did it again. <laughs> uh, so I just want to plug my YouTube channel, which is a now. I don't see allowing me to be a part of the podcast you guys are doing great things i was all for the counselors and therapy for black men black communities so shout out to y'all yeah <laughs> thank you thank you can you plug your youtube channel uh, now see shout time? out the warm in our hearts for sure do you do you mind plugging your youtube channel one more time it went in and out just oh, a little yeah. bit a nyla a y e nyla n y l a Awesome. Shout out YouTube. Shout and out. don't worry, listeners. We got her on the page. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to boost the shout out, boost the collab, all of that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So please be on the lookout. You're going to get a clap too. Don't worry. I, my hand is always itching to push that button. So don't worry. But needless to say, like Liebert said, like our wonderful guests have already mentioned, you can look forward to another collaboration. These guests are not one-time guests. That's not how we do it here on Thoughts for a Counselor, from a counselor. So please be expecting those emails, those uh, invitations for another go-around. Um, and I want to just thank you both again for taking the time to have these conversations around anxiety, being vulnerable, being transparent with us and, and our guests. I mean, and our listeners, excuse me. Um, <laughs> so you are our guest. <laughs> be our guest. I watch too much Disney. Thank you. No doubt. Um, <laughs> Any final thoughts? Now, Paul, who do you want to shout out? Do uh, shout outs? Uh, I I don't have anyone specifically, so I will just shout out you, amazing people, because I'm a surrounded right now about 
around black greatness. And when you're surrounded around black greatness, you need to make sure that that is highlighted. So these two wonderful black women in front of me, this wonderful black man to the right of me or to the left, depending on your screen, shout out y'all because y'all need this right here because you are amazing. You are contributing to this world. You are influencing this world. You are making a change and a difference, whether you know it or not. So I just want to make sure that y'all are celebrated. Uh, I think for my shout out, I want to shout out my friend Kira, who just recently got in the swing of her riding business. You know, she got a couple clients. She's making some progress. And, you know, we love to see our friends get their stuff together and off the ground. Because we know when you're in that planning process, there's a lot of anxiety in there, too. It's like, is this the time to do this? You know, did I do this properly? Oh, we got another guest. No, okay, no shout way. out to no way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shout out to the dog that just came into the camera view. (laughs) And, um, oh, wait, you got to do the clap fall, and then we do the next segment. I was getting ahead of myself. (laughs) For the writing business of Kira, we need you. Thank you. You are amazing. Keep writing. First, it's the website, then it's a screenplay, (laughs) then it's a script. Who knows? You're taking it to the next level. I already know it. And um, now, of course, our next segment is the listener question of the day. So as you know, on our Instagram, at Thoughts from Counselors, we post lots of neat content that, (laughs) like the dog has something to say too, it's cool though. But we post lots of neat content that we hope y'all love, we hope y'all appreciate. And we really do as a way to facilitate community with y'all because we want y'all to feel like y'all can talk to us. And today's question of the day, what conversations have you had about anxiety? And I'm going to just say that one more time for y'all. What conversations have you had about anxiety? And now some key takeaways in case anybody else had another burning thought. And if not, we'll close. So now the floor is once again and for the last time yours. Okay, it looks like everybody is either thinking or cool. So can we wrap up? Okay, so then on that note, this is the end of the episode. I am Liebert Lester III. And I'm Paul Singleton II. We signing off, everybody. Peace.